Hello and welcome back to the latest Tink Business Podcast powered by Bank of Ireland. Today we talk to Greta Dunn, founder and CEO of Marker Content, a global content marketplace that is in effect the shutterstock for written words. She talks about starting her business in Dublin and the future of content marketing. So just to begin, Greta, uh, tell us about what marker content is. So I, I use I use platforms like Shutterstock, um, and you know, you know, they're great. They're great platforms. They're very much of the of the time we're in, and uh, they're you've seen them now using all kinds of interesting AI tools as well. But but where did the idea for for marker content come from? So sure, the 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 answer to your first question is um, marker content is an online article library of of stock articles. Um, the idea really came from um, my previous business was an online magazine um, for college students and. It grew very fast because I think at the time in Irish media, there was nothing really for college students for the 18 to 24 year old kind of demographic. So um, I really wanted Irish students writing for other Irish students and covering topics that were really being covered. Um, So, yeah, that grew quite quickly. And we were publishing over 50 articles a day um, and we had about 200 writers around the country kind of contributing to this, which was great. Um, but obviously, as as things grew, we got the attention of bigger brands, um, Netflix, Paramount, Universal, Red Bull, um, Gillette, you know, anyone that wanted to sell to 18 to 24 year olds were really coming to us, which was which was amazing. Um, and they weren't wanting traditional advertising. They were wanting content marketing, which was kind of new to us. So it was basically kind of inserting their brands into a few of our best performing articles and generating new articles um, that would include their brand. So if Netflix had a new program that they wanted to advertise to 18 to 24 year olds, they would say, hey, can you just pop this into five good articles that you know will do well and we want X amount of views and, and, and so on. Um so that was a real revenue earner for us. And, and it really kind of surprised me at the time. And I was young and I, I was very new to the media game, but it surprised me how much revenue we could generate from this and how easy it was. Um, because we we understood then what our audiences were looking for and what titles worked. And um, so we really we were really easily able to say to them, okay, these five articles are going to generate this much attraction. And so your brand or your product or whatever it is, is going to be seen by this many people. Um, And we always hit our targets. We, we never fell short, which was great. Um, a lot of the time we were using our our writers, but a lot of the time I was also kind of going out and I was looking on StumbleUpon, which is an, an old website. I don't even know if it's around anymore, but I was basically kind of looking for articles that would work for what our clients were looking for. Um, and I stumbled upon all of these blogs, old blogs about anything like health and wellness and and beauty and travel and, and everything. Um, and I would contact the original blogger, or the original writer, and I'd say, hey, look, we're, we're looking for an article just like this or this. Um, could we publish this on our magazine? Um, and we will credit you and we will put your name in there and, and so on. And they always wrote back saying, I wrote that six years ago. I do not need that anymore. I never made any money from it. Take what you want. You know, absolutely. So, um, yeah, there was a college website and a teen website. They both sold in 2016. And I started to research into this content marketing world and, and how it worked. I just wanted a better understanding. 
So I firstly tried to establish how many blog posts or articles that were were kind of being published every day that weren't being seen and weren't being monetized and were kind of falling into this abyss. Um, and at the time, this was kind of 2016, 2017, there was, I think, about 2 million a day being published that weren't kind of really being seen. Now it's up to 10 million. So it really has grown in the last few years. Um, it's really evolved. Um, and then I talked to bloggers, I talked to freelance writers, I talked to copywriters um, and just established some of the big pain points. So a lot of blogs are really hard to get monetized, obviously, if you're not getting enough views on them and um, really hard to get views unless you're going to put money into advertising Um, really hard to sell your content um, directly to people, to agencies or businesses. You have to kind of get those relationships going. But then it comes to the invoicing and how difficult that is. How much do I charge? When do I get paid? How do I get paid? How do I do my tax? These are all problems that I was kind of seeing in in on that side of the business. Um, on the other side, I was looking at, I was kind of trying to meet as many agencies as I could, marketing agencies, advertising agencies, PR agencies, um, and seeing, okay, so you've got 19 clients across 19 different industries um, who's writing the articles for them. Um, again, this was kind of 2016, 2017, and the agencies are saying we need kind of two pieces of content a week per client. Um, that has now grown hugely. I mean, two pieces a week just doesn't cut it. But the t- at the time, they were saying, yeah, it's a bit of a problem because we've two content creators in the business. Uh, they're writing content for 19 different clients. And I said, well, where are they getting their information? Because presumably you don't have two content writers that are experts in 19 different industries. And they were saying, no, they kind of get it from online and they copy and paste and they, you know, make it their own or whatever. So that was a big problem for me because I felt like there was a lot of stuff that people were taking from online that they weren't maybe crediting the original author and maybe the original author never knew about it and, and whatever. So so then I started to look into Shutterstock, iStock, Getty Images, all the stock image libraries um, and just saw kind of how did they grow? How did they start? Um, John Oranger from, from Shutterstock basically had a digital camera with 30,000 images on it and he put it up on a you know, on a website and and all of a sudden people started buying them and then other photographers, you know, said, hey, can I put my stuff up? And, and that's how Shutterstock started in a, in a nutshell. So I figured, OK, if if he could build that like that, like surely there I could build something, you know, that would kind of catch all of this unused content and, and we could sell it out in the exact same way, in the exact same business model. It would be a subscription um, and the original author would get you know, a commission from, from everything sold. Um, so yeah, so I started designing marker content, um, and I, I, yeah, I was really happy with kind of the uptake. I mean, writers were giving me great feedback in that they were like, this is such a good idea. It's so easy to use for me. The most important part of it was that I was building something for the, for the writers, the freelancers, the copywriters, the people that needed it, as opposed to the buyers. I knew the buyers would be there. I knew the buyers needed it. Like I knew there was going to be buyers, but I felt that there was nothing really for a community of writers that they felt appreciated and that they felt that they had they were getting enough commission for the work that they were putting in. So it was it it, it is 80 percent commission for every writer, um, which is really generous, you know, um, in, in the I suppose we're doing all the the formatting, the indexing, the tagging, the, the marketing of it. But in my mind, you know, that's that's more important that they feel like they are part of a community because 
they're the ones who are going to be going out there and, and promoting us and selling us and saying, look, we're, you know, I, I, I really looked at Etsy. I looked at Depop. I looked at Airbnb, Uber. I looked at all of these great communities of sellers and what do they all have in common? They really made life very easy for the sellers. So that's what I've tried to build with with Marker. I suppose in terms of the goals for the company, uh, what's ahead for Marker Content in terms of uh, the 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 goals you've set for yourself, uh, the kind of uh, platform in terms of the amount of articles on the platform, and of course then the variety and various topics that you, that you hope to have on the platform. Yeah. So I mean, in terms of goals. <laughs> The sky's the limit, you know, yourself. Um, one of our milestones was that we would have, I think it was 2,500 contributors by June. Um, so we've just hit over 16,000, which has grown obviously a lot faster than we anticipated. But, it's you know, it's a great problem to have. Um, the contributors are giving us really great feedback um, in terms of kind of the process of of being a contributor, they have to do a short test and um, and either they pass that test or they fail that test. Um, and then they come onto the community and then they have their own profile and they and you know they put up their articles and and so on. So that side of it is fantastic. And and I mean, really we launched in April and and it was okay, let's spend the first six months you know, acquiring these writers and making sure we have that side of the business set up and, and that the the stock is there. So we've 16,000 writers. We're growing by about 200 a day, which is which is fantastic. Um, we've just over 160,000 articles across all topics, all industries. Um, so we've passed our goals for now. My goal would be 200,000 articles by the end of the year and 50,000 contributors by the end of the year. Um, I also, we're looking at partnerships with um, bigger companies like Wix, GoDaddy, Squarespace, you know, um, people that really would benefit from having a content source. Um, so if obviously if somebody's setting up their small business website and they're going, hey, you know, I'm Dan the plumber and I've got a website and here we go. I've got it sorted with Wix or GoDaddy or whoever, whoever it is. Um, and he goes, great. I've got all my, my, my um, talents here, um, but I've got nothing to put on the website. So it would be great if he could just, you know, he could just go, oh, great. I've the, you know, there's three or four articles here. I could get a month on plumbing or how to do your own plumbing or whatever. Some some kind of content to fill up the website and to put on my Facebook page and my LinkedIn page and and everything. Um, because a lot of the web developer, interestingly, I was at the web summit and I kind of expected, um, yeah, I expected something that I didn't get. But what I got was it huge amount of web developers um, and web hosting companies saying, oh my God, this would really make our lives a lot easier because so many of our clients come to us and they say, yeah, can you build my site? And also, can you just populate it with a few pieces of content with a few you know, articles? And they're like, well, no, because that's not our job. But they were like, it would be great to have that as an add-on, you know, for our clients and to be able to kind of offer that. So it was it was definitely an area that I didn't kind of expect. But uh, we're seeing sales with with web developers now, which is which is great. And I think that's kind of a big part of the future partnerships. Um, in terms of of the future, yeah, like I mean, I'd love to be. I'd love if Marker was a kind of household name in in every agency. Going look. We're, we're falling short on our content, but it's okay because we've got X amount left from worker content in, in, in our subscription and we can up our subscription and get more. And, um, and that everybody that has a small business and starting a small business knows that they don't need to worry about, you know, putting something on their website because they have, they have marker as a source. Um, I think, you know, stock content, stock photography, 
definitely was something that people kind of were a bit adverse to at the beginning because it was like, wait, like I don't want the same photograph as one of my competitors and I don't want to put something on a billboard that, you know, somebody else has on their billboard or whatever. Um, And the pushback on stock photography was definitely there at the beginning. And then people realized actually it doesn't really matter that much. And I think, you know, with the amount of businesses in the world, with the amount of agencies, with the amount of newsletters, websites, uh, one image, it it doesn't matter if it's kind of repeated in in the articles. Um, it's similar in that because we've such a huge volume of articles, because our articles can be edited and changed and rebranded, and you know, and that's really what the point of it is. It, it's not necessarily to just put it straight up, even though we are we are seeing customers doing that, which is nice. It's more so um, to avoid the blank page syndrome, to avoid, oh, my gosh, I have nothing to say, even though I'm an expert. Um, you know, I always think it's, it was so interesting. My dad, who, who's in the wine industry, um, I said, look, why don't you put up some articles on why red wine tastes good with red meat, you know, and instead of just specials. Um, and he said, yeah, I mean, that would be a great article, but I can't write that. And I'd be like, why you're, you're in the wine industry for 50 years. And he'd be like, because I'm, I'm a wine merchant, I'm not a writer. And, you know, that's the truth. I think a lot of people are absolute experts in, in whatever field they're in. And yet it's actually quite hard to write an article from scratch. So um, what I would love is if Marker was, yeah, it was just kind of a saving grace and it was like, oh, great. Like, at least this is giving me 10 ideas um, and I can work off this. And uh, were you always entrepreneurial? I mean, you mentioned you know, your dad's in the wine business. Uh, you, you had previous businesses, you previous publishing company, you focused on the youth market. But was it always your ambition as a kid from from being a kid onwards to be a business person or a publisher or a writer? What was your what was your, what 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 got you into this uh, this content game? God, I don't know. Um, I mean, my my mom was an entrepreneur, a very successful one. She she had the first litigation technology company um, in in Ireland. Certainly, I'm not I'm not sure about Europe, but uh, she was hugely successful, and she made it look incredibly easy. Um, and I worked for her as well for a long time. A lot of my friends worked for her um, and she was great and she absolutely loved it and she loved the buzz of it. And um, she was a great person to work for. And yeah, she just she made it look easy and she never she never made it look like she didn't like her job. So, so I love that kind of side of things. I never thought I could I could be like her. Um, but maybe I suppose, I don't know, monkey see, monkey do. Is it is it kind of innate like no, I, I I went into college and I quickly dropped out very, very fast. Um, before I went to college, I took a year out and taught English. Um, I did a TEFL and I, and I taught English in Central America for a year just because I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Well, I thought I wanted to be a teacher, basically, but I wasn't doing higher level Irish, so I couldn't be a teacher. So I thought I'll do it somewhere else where I can be a teacher. Um, and then I went into UCD and, and yeah, it just wasn't kind of right for me at the time. And then I started basically waitressing and bartending and um I traveled a bit and at one stage I thought yep I definitely want to be a bartender for the rest of my life this is the coolest job in the world (laughs) um and so I and so I did that and then I kind of went off Australia and London and Greece and um it all seemed fantastic um but when I came back to Dublin I thought "Mm, maybe maybe I should try something else um and that's when I started College Times um the entrepreneurial thing, no, I mean, definitely not, no business mind, um, no business qualifications, no, nothing like that. But I think 
you know, the best way to learn something is to do it yourself. And and I've done three, I've done four accelerator programs and all of them taught me, you know, how business works, how startups work, uh, funding, all of that. And and you really don't absorb it, or at least I don't, um, until you have to do it yourself. And, and you know, I've often been in meetings where I've had to excuse myself and, and Google whatever that acronym they keep using is, you know. So, um, yeah, I don't think, I mean, yeah, I suppose there's different types of entrepreneurs. I'm sure there's people out there that always knew they wanted a business, but they just weren't sure what it was. Um, that wasn't me. I think I saw a problem and I saw a really good solution and I figured, why not try and build that? Um, and and I always kind of had the bigger the big picture for that. Um, doing New Frontiers was fantastic because it just, it allowed me to meet other people that had similar dreams, I suppose, and 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 to be taught by people who had done it before. And it just, it makes it seem achievable, I suppose. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't say I had, I was born with the entrepreneurial spirit. It's probably a combination of watching my mom and and then having an idea that I, that I felt could work. Um, everything else you can just learn, I suppose. <laughs> and and like the the journey to becoming the shutterstock of the written word is it's great. It's a great goal, and I I I, I really hope and you succeed in in that and that ambition of also being kind of a household name among marketing agencies and and web developers. Um, but where are you at on in terms of the journey, in terms of uh, funding, and you know the growth plan? Uh, are you are you planning to raise venture capital to get to to achieve your goals? Yeah. So um, <clears throat> at the end of last year, I two two angel investors from the UK became interested. Um, one of them had kind of been following my progress uh, for a couple of years and, and was an advisor. Um, and he started to see the traction and he started to become interested in how this could be actually quite a scalable big business. Um, so they invested in March of this year, which meant that I could um, hire a COO, which was fantastic. Um, so I hired Dan Halliwell um, and and I was able to hire marketing. So, you know, I was able to all of a sudden have a team around me and then build and develop the platform to what it really should be. Um, obviously, it's a work in progress at the moment. It's, it's working absolutely perfectly. It's a great MVP. It, you know, people are on, people are buying, all the rest. But what we really want to, we obviously want to develop it a lot more. Um so that was the first bit of funding that came in in March. Um, we're in the final conversations with um, EI for HPSU match funding. Um, so hopefully we're going to get that this month um, if all goes well. Um, and then we will be going out for a seed round um, in September with the hopes of closing before Christmas. So, yeah, I mean, we've great advisors and we've great people around us. And I think what we've proven in the last few months is the power that this this platform can have um you know even just we we had a client two weeks ago saying look I, i'm kind of looking for a few bits on travel I, I need some content on travel and we said okay and we actually emailed out our, our fifteen thousand contributors at the time and said we're, we're looking for some travel content you know within 24 hours we'd hundreds of articles in travel which was a great you know lesson and a great case study to go okay there is a lot of power here um and it's fantastic that we can generate this content so quickly. Um, but yeah, so so in terms of going out to, to raise, 
what we're what we're proving is this works. It's functioning. We've kind of done it on a shoestring. We've been bootstrapping highly. We've you know come under budget every month since we got our initial funding. But I feel that momentum is huge, and I feel like we actually need proper money now to make this to to build the apps to build the apps for Wix, for Squarespace, for GoDaddy, whoever needs an app, and they all have to be different. We're learning every day. Um, but I think getting these big partnerships is is next on the list, and we we're not going to be able to do that unless we get some some proper financing. So. Initially, I thought, yeah, let's continue to bootstrap. Let's continue to kind of bleed this in. Now I'm like, no, this needs a lot of money. This needs to actually grow very fast. Um, and it needs, a, a you know, proper development, proper tech team. Um, we just need to build it out, you know, quickly. So, yes, we are talking to VCs at the moment. And we, we're talking to a few VCs. Um, you know, I'm also careful about who we're going to work with, because, as you know, you know, it's a very strong relationship you have VCs and with VCs. And, um, you know, it, it, it makes a big difference who you decide to work with. And I think we've kind of come from the we'll take anyone's money, we'll we'll take anything to actually hold on a minute. You know, we've proved that this is going to work Um, let's be let's be careful with our next move. Um, we also have individual investors who are interested. And then our current investors, I think, are also interested in coming in in the next round. So we're in a really good position at the moment, which is brilliant. Um, you know, and I would love not to have to take investment at all and, ha- and have a profitable business already. But um, no, I think I think this business, yeah, I think it, it would really benefit from from a, a big injection now before before the end of the year, so that we can probably you know map out the next kind of three to five years. And ultimately, it, it's 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 uh, potential is to be a global business, isn't it? I mean, that that's the thing. It's managing that growth. You know, managing the international uh, footprint of it. I mean, I suppose your bigger challenges down the line will also be technological translation, all those those different moving parts. So, oh, absolutely. And I think you know, AI is a massive part of content creation at the moment, and it would be you know, it's in the plan that we incorporate you know, con- AI content creation on the platform so that the contributors can actually use that. And and when we get a blast out saying, look, we need something on Black Friday, or we need you know articles on Thanksgiving, and specifically we need this, this, and this that they can use the AI function to speed up the process. Because in my experience, and obviously I look deeply into AI because you have to look at, well, who are your competitors, who are other people using, et cetera. Um, The AI content creation sources at the moment, yes, they're there. Yes, they work. I still think they need a human element to it, 100%. Like they need either somebody helping to write it as a human or somebody editing it as a human but it definitely it does need the human element i feel um so that's all in the works absolutely that's that's coming down the line um dare dare say it's going to be a wordy endeavor (laughs) (laughs) well i think to be honest i think we need to move over to the states kind of you know as soon as possible um we have two interns we had two interns for the summer one was from harvard one was from northwestern i mean they were just worth their ways in gold but um, what I really want is to be able to go over to the States and um, go into the colleges um, and get some incentive for the college students to sign up and and be contributors because, you know, they've 
they've great networks over there that we can we can kind of leverage those networks and, and make it a brand or an app where college students go oh like you know fantastic I, I I'm broke this month but I made an extra you know two hundred dollars on marker content because I sold x amount of articles or whatever um, and just make it a kind of household brand in that way for for the students so we've got that ambassador program all mapped out as well um, and it's important that again we get over there and we kind of establish ourselves as, as something that students a brand that students can trust that they make money from and and we've seen the success of the likes of kind of depop and and etsy and yeah that's that's where i'm thinking we kind of fit into a very trusted marketplace that you can actually make good money from at the end of the month that's not scamming you that's you know not trying to take your content and um so yeah that would be the that would be the plan brilliant with that greta dunn marker content the shutter stock of words i have to say it's going to be great so thank you so much thanks john lovely to talk to you For our next podcast, stay tuned for when we talk to Paul Connell from Pure Telecom about why Ireland's broadband infrastructure is still not up to scratch.